happy Monday. You are listening to the Tar Devils podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network, where we talk Duke, UNC, ACC basketball. And welcome into episode four of the Tar Devils podcast. My name is Tyler Rosera, the always objective Duke Blue Devil fan in this duo, and I'm debating my good friend John Bowman. John, what's up? Tyler, we have finished another week of college basketball. I'm not a math major, but Duke's record is two and two. UNC's record is four and two. I'm just running the numbers a little bit. It seems like UNC has twice as many wins as Duke, and Duke has shut down their non-conference schedule, which we'll get to later, but I think that's the way it's going to stay. UNC will end non-conference with more wins than the Blue Devils, and there's a lot of ACC games coming up, but I think both UNC and Duke accomplished what they wanted to accomplish during that non-conference slate. We'll talk about that later. With that in mind, let's preview what we're going to talk about tonight. We've got a few things to discuss. First of all, we're going to talk UNC-Iowa. That was part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge on Tuesday, December 8th. North Carolina lost to Iowa 93-80 to in the snowy Midwestern plains of Iowa. That was a, a, well, a well-played college basketball game, a good college basketball game. So Tyler and I will discuss that. Then we'll get to talking about Duke a little bit. Duke, on the same night, Tuesday, December 8th, went up against Illinois and lost 83-68 to at home. We'll talk about Coach K's comments after the game as well. And then finally, segment three, we'll kind of talk about non-conference as a whole for uh, both North Carolina and Duke, and we'll revisit some of our ACC predictions because ACC play, believe it or not, gets started up right away. And we've got a big non-conference preview to discuss talking a little bit about our preseason predictions, whether we're going to change them or not. So it should be a really exciting show. And with that, John, let's jump into our first topic. UNC predictably falls to Iowa 93-80 to at Iowa this last Tuesday. John, what's your reaction to the game? So first of all, I think that for college basketball fans who are a little bit more casual fans, they may not understand this Iowa team is really, really good. This is a team that's going to be right in the mix at the end of the season. Iowa is not a traditional power necessarily when it comes to college basketball, but this Iowa team really can shoot the lights out. They've got a great player in Luke Garza, and that shooting was really the story of this game. Uh, at the end of the game, Iowa finished 17 of 40. Uh, from the three-point line, 40 attempts from the three-point line. That's really incredible when you think about it in today's day and day and age in college basketball. You don't see many teams taking 40 attempts in a 40-minute game. Nevertheless, UNC just didn't get it done. They competed hard after falling behind early. Uh, they were down 30 to 15 at one point. The Tar Heels were, but they fought back. Uh, you never want to lose uh, a game like that on the road. Um, but I think that UNC felt good about the way they competed and they felt good about how they sort of battled back after getting off to a slow start. It's hard to find uh, too many bright spots in a loss, but I think Garrison Brooks, he had 17 points on 7 of 11 shooting for the Tar Heels. He was a real positive. Um, but some of the defensive issues that have cropped up for Roy Williams' teams in the recent years in terms of guarding the three-point line 
uh, really reared their heads a little bit. And then I think UNC also struggled to hold Luke Garza down. I mean, he's just such a great player, and UNC threw a lot of bodies at him, but that also led to the Tar Heels getting into foul trouble, especially Dayron Sharp. And in the end, Iowa just was too good. They pulled away. So it was a good litmus test for this Tar Heel team, but I think ultimately it was a test that they failed, and they got a lot to learn from. Yeah, I think that was definitely Garrison Brooks' best game of the season, uh, although his season has not been very good thus far. John, I want to press you on something. I saw you tweet after the game that you wanted to go back to the second half and see a game where the rest didn't take over. So I just want to ask you, expand on that a bit and tell me what part or what percentage would you blame the refs for the UNC losing? And uh, what percentage is on the team and maybe the coach? Yeah, I don't think it was a great officiating performance. I think that uh, Roy Williams would never say that after a game, unlike Coach K, who's not afraid to you know, take a shot or speak his mind. Coach Williams would you know, hold his tongue on things like that. But I think that the foul calls in the second half on some of the UNC big men really changed the game. And it's also just a fact that Dayron Sharp ended up with four fouls at the end of the night. Armando Baycott fouled out. He had five fouls, and Garrison had four. All of those big court or those big men in the second half, it felt like they were always in foul trouble, especially with Dayron. I forget the exact minute, but it was early on in the second half. He had to go take a seat on the bench. We're learning about this UNC team that Dayron is a humongous catalyst for this team. His passing ability, his defense, his offensive ability, he's a really special player. So having to watch him sit on the bench there for a lot of the second half was tough. So I don't think that officiating was any more than 10 or 20% of the reason why UNC lost, but it definitely had an impact on the game. And that's why I said what I did on Twitter. I would have loved to have seen a game where Dayron Sharp wasn't limited to just 14 minutes because of foul trouble. Okay, so with you saying that, and the podcast myself being tweeted by various UNC fans and this mob of biased UNC fans on Twitter, I would like to have a national investigation into the NCAA because if you have got logged on to Twitter and read all the fan tweets against Texas, Stanford, North Carolina Central, and now Iowa, uh, I think the NCAA is corrupt because there has to be has to be rest being paid here because if you read every tweet i mean the amount of evidence that fans think that unc is being cheated is overwhelming so i just want to say i get it unc fans are tired you're tired of your embarrassing losing season last year having to watch cole anthony airball game winning three after game winning three you're tired this year of having much of the same and having freshmen that don't live up to the hype, and now you have to do what I would do in fifth grade, which is blame the refs, which is not the reason you lost. I'll get into the reason you lost now. When I saw the flood of tweets, there was about eight minutes left in the game. Luca Garza had just scored 10 points in a row for Iowa, and people were complaining about the foul calls. He was getting on some offensive rebounds, blah, blah, blah. UNC was actually winning at that point. You were up one point with eight minutes left. There was one distinct difference. Uh, Iowa started making their shots. 
UNC can score in the half court. So when Iowa started making their threes, you didn't have these long rebounds and these transition buckets that UNC was getting. The difference in the game that last eight minutes when UNC was winning is they couldn't make UNC couldn't make free throws and they couldn't score in the half court. Iowa, they continue to dump down and work outside, inside, sorry, inside out with Luca Garza kick out and make the threes. Coach Roy has always preached you close out like they're going to drive. Well, with Iowa, they're going to shoot the ball, not drive, and they're going to make 40% of their shots. That's nothing new, okay? And if you want to talk about the refs, look at the free throws. UNC shot 20, Iowa shot 14. UNC had 18 fouls, and Iowa had 17. The big difference is 18 turnovers to 11 turnovers, not the fouls. So I just don't understand how after every game, UNC fans, including you, can keep blaming the refs when you lose a game by 13 points and what's the and what's the difference is clearly the half-court offense your response I hear you and I actually want to touch on one of the points that you made about the differences between the 2019-20 Tar Heels last year's team and this year's team I think we've gotten a little bit of time here at the beginning of the season we're starting to figure out you know that team last year obviously was not good, and we've gotten some data now to understand, okay, where does this team in 2020 differ, and where is it the same? I think that we've seen that tar UNC big men, that is a humongous improvement from last year. Having Baycott play a lot better, you know, having someone like Garrison Brooks take another step forward, you know, he's he looks in strong. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Garrison Brooks step forward, how so? I think... He looks stronger in some ways because he has a better role where he has to play. He doesn't have to be the guy on the offense. He just can be one of the guys. He can kind of tag Dunk. team. He's shooting under 50% from the field. Those are layups and dunks. He misses all his mid-range. He, you can't be a big shooting three feet from the basket under 50%. Usually you'll see a 50 to 60%, even sometimes over 60% like Zion did. Garrison Brooks, I don't see him making any improvement, actually regressing. He does exactly what he did last year because when you had Cole Anthony and Brandon Robinson and all your players healthy, Garrison Brooks was not that guy. He was a supportive piece. I just don't understand this notion that people still think he is a good player on the team. Dayron Sharp has played way better than him. Yeah, I agree with that. Dayron is another one who's just really been impressive. I still think that there's more to the Garrison story than what we've seen so far this season. I think his veteran leadership is going to be crucial to get UNC through ACC play. We should mention uh, North Carolina also played yesterday against NC Central, and uh, they won by just six points. Um, not too much to take away from that game, but we should mention Andrew Playtech had 11 points in that one. So another example of a guy, a senior, who's going to be counted on in certain games. You know, the season is very long, so there's going to be games when Andrew Playtech needs to step up and provide some scoring. And that's going to be the same thing with Garrison Brooks. He did not play well against NC Central with just five points. But there's going to be nights in the ACC when you have to go on the road or you're playing you know, your third game in 10 days. They're going to need to lean on Garrison. So they have a lot more depth in the front court. Um, maybe the last thing we can touch on, Tyler, for UNC, I think UNC's guard play is still concerning. Caleb Love and RJ Davis, um, they haven't quite gelled as much, I think, with the rest of the team as everyone expected. I think Caleb is still trying to figure out exactly what his role is, finding a balance between being a scorer and a passer. And RJ Davis um, still showing his youth. Um, he hasn't been shooting the ball, I think, as well or as consistently as he might have hoped 
For example, yesterday against NC Central, he went 0 for 5 from three-point land. Um, I'm t curious, Tyler, what have you seen out of UNC's guard so far this season? Uh, just to build on your point about play tech, I do give him a lot of credit against Central. He actually had a, some very big-time uh, big plays. Um, one comment um, the announcer made during the Iowa game with him, uh, he, Andrew Playtech shot a three and uh, missed it short, but he, had, he ran after his three. And the, the announcer said, when you're a good shooter, you know if you're going to miss or not. And I just thought, well, Playtech is missing all of them, so he's always going to run after them, to be honest with you. But uh, on a more serious note, I think for Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, you bring up a good point. Um, a couple of times on the show about them having trouble running this offense and the spacing issues that you have. Mm -hmm. And against Iowa, they had a combined seven turnovers, which is problematic. But the bright spot is I think RJ Davis had um, eight assists. Caleb Love had six. That is by far the most assist totals that each of them has had this season. So that is a bright spot. One thing that was glaringly obvious early was the guards for Iowa are very good at feeding the post, and they can work inside out that way. UNC's guards turn it over so much just trying to feed it down low. It was just, I don't know if they're having trouble ball faking or since they can't shoot, you can get a lot of ball pressure on them. I don't know, but a lot of turnovers early came, by, came from the guards trying to force the ball down low and just throwing it away. And so, you know, that's one thing to keep, keep an eye on to see if they can improve in that area. Yeah, that's a good point about UNC's guard play. That brings up Duke, who's also struggling a little bit with their freshman guard play. Let's jump into topic two. Okay, so Duke falls to Illinois, 83 to 68. I correctly predicted this. I don't see how anyone who watched the Illinois versus Baylor game the week before did not see that Illinois was an elite team already. In my eyes, probably poised for a Final Four run. Um, I knew this would happen, John. Uh, Duke looked young again. A big issue is going into the season. Uh, Coach K has had an idea of what this Duke could be team could be more guard oriented, play smaller, and shoot lights out. Clearly, that's not the way that this Duke team needs to play, and he's having to make adjustments on the fly. Problem is, when two or four games are against top ten teams, you're going to get exposed. So, kind of an ugly game for Duke. Illinois still looked very good. But Coach K made national headlines, a little bit of controversy after the game. In his post-game comments, he, he mentioned that he believes the uh, NCAA needs to revisit this season, maybe pushing it back, canceling non-conference games. And there was a viral tweet that went around um, that said, the Duke Coach K saga this year summed up in three pictures. The first one is Coach K before the season saying that the NCAA needs to have the uh, March Madness this year. The second photo is Duke losing to Illinois. The third photo is Coach K saying we need to reassess this season. He got a lot of flack for it. John, what are your thoughts? He got a lot of flack for it even from fellow coaches in the coaching community. Uh, Mike Oates, the coach uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide, basically went after Coach K for these comments. And I, I thought that was, you know, really interesting that, you know, even people from the coaching community are split on this. 
Um, I one, think that, that is that is John. That's one coach, not coaches. One coach. I think Oates was the one who spoke up, um, but there may have been others who stood by silently. This is something that you know it's a difficult topic to discuss. Um, Coach K, you know, I think that one thing is clear is Coach K is sort of a big voice for college basketball. So as Coach K goes, the rest of the college basketball community will follow. Um, he is coaching a team right now that's two and two. You referenced the fact that they are playing uh, top 10 teams. They played two very tough um, competitive games, two competitive teams. So the opportunity would be there to finish out the non-conference slate and to you know build up your team against somewhat lesser competition, just like UNC did. They were able to schedule a game against NC Central, and UNC only won by six points. So there was definitely a, a risk that they could have lost that game. Well, that's so a reflection I, of UNC, not Central, being a tough opponent, but yes. That's true. I think that at the end of the day, the issue that I have with, with Coach K's comments, it's not necessarily um, that Coach K said anything out of line. It's just that the Coach K uh, sort of brand for how he's sort of taken, he's sort of taken this third party approach. He really could have been a leader at the beginning of the season, and he could have stood up and said, we, the Duke basketball team, we're not playing any non-conference games. Uh, he could have taken a leadership position um, at the beginning of ACC play and really endorsed college basketball. Could have gone the other way and said, you know, we're getting ready for ACC play. We're all in on this. But he sort of abdicated his throne of leadership by sort of dipping, uh, dipping his toe into both pools, uh, depending sort of on how the season has gone for Duke so far. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, though, Tyler. Uh, do you think Coach K is being a hypocrite? A hypocrite? That's that's an interesting word. I don't know about hypocrite because, you know, it is – we're ultimately talking about a very difficult issue here. Coach K, just like everyone else, is trying to balance, you know, what to do in the COVID-19 pandemic, what's safe, what's not. So I wouldn't use the word hypocrite, but I think that – you know, leadership. He talks a lot about leadership on his own team. By making the comments midway through the season, he didn't show leadership by taking the same stance that Rick Pitino did. Rick Pitino came out and said we should move college basketball back to March or we should move it back to January. I forget exactly what he said. Um, so Coach K, if he felt that way, he could have stood up and he would have had a lot of sway and he could have sort of set the agenda for the rest of the college basketball season. But instead, he's sort of you know, he's like I said, he sort of said both things. He sort of dipped his toe into both pools of thought. So I wouldn't say hypocrite, but I would just say he's shown lack of leadership on this issue. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so just touching on Nate Oates, the coach for Alabama, um, he had a post-game comment saying if Coach K hadn't lost both his non-conference games, would he – be calling for uh, the NCAA to re revisit this season? And he, his answer was no. Jim Beheim stuck up for Kay later. Uh, he said, uh, people questioning Kay for not wanting to play this season, um, that's for bloggers and non-respected coaches to say. 
So a little shot at Nate Oates, which I appreciated from Coach K's buddy, Jim Beheim. Also Seth Greenberg on ESPN. I'm not usually a big fan of his, but he did stick up for Coach K as well. That's the only reason I I uh, pressed you on you saying coaches instead of coach, because I've only seen one coach get on Coach K, although I assume a lot are thinking it. But many coaches have stuck up for Coach K. Okay, now for the rest of this segment, I want you and every other UNC hate or UNC fan and Duke hater, you should refer to me as Stephen A. from now on because I'm about to educate y'all, okay? I'm going to start from the beginning. Duke last year was the first to pull out of the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, correct? Were they not the title favorites? They were, okay? So already from the get-go, Coach K established he wants safety first, no matter if his team is the title favorite or if they're 2-2 two and two losing their non-conference games, okay? He, the, the players last year after the season discussed how they were not comfortable, the Duke players I'm talking about, they were not comfortable stepping on the floor. So it's not like he's making this decision by himself. He's talking to his team, and he's taking player safety into account, and that's why he canceled last season. They were first, first, first to pull out. Fast forward to now, he's being consistent. He canceled the rest of the non-conference schedule. You don't think that Duke would benefit from having these cupcake games, Gardner-Webb, Charles, Charleston Southern, and one other non-conference game? That's what Duke needs right now to figure themselves out are these little tune-up games, and he canceled it because, again, he's concerned more about player safety. So now this is where we get into the controversy. November 19th, before the season even started, he said we need to have the, have the NCAA tournament. But what I think you and a lot of other haters are doing is grabbing onto the headlines because they're not reading the full quote. He said, we need to have the tournament. But if it gets bad, I hope the NCAA will, or will consider and reassess pushing the season back. He said that from November 19th, okay? So now his comments after the Illinois game, he says, it's getting worse. The cases are getting worse. And on one side, you have people that don't want to play. The other side, with the vaccine, this could be manageable, manageable by February. So he wants the NCAA to reassess. In other words, he's just saying push it back, which is what he said before the season even started. So everyone that's out there, you know, hating on Coach K, hating on Duke, it's not a surprise, to be honest with you. And also, quite frankly, they're just grabbing onto headlines and they're not reading the quotes. It's also a tough position for Coach K because, uh, you know, I understand how the media things work. Sometimes the media can ask you a tough question and you have to answer it whether you like it or not. And just by answering the question, Coach K was going to end up in sort of a weaker position. That's just sort of how it works. So after this game, he was sort of the first major coach who was asked about it. He had to give his answer. And I think, you know, being truthful to Coach K, he even acknowledged that the timing would seem suspicious as part of his answer when he talked about, you know, his comments and how they had just lost. He acknowledged some of that suspicion. So I give Coach Cray, I, I give Coach K a little bit of credit and understanding for that. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to um, touch on is you discussed him being a leader and showing leadership in a situation like this. Duke had a preseason or a uh, early like season tournament scheduled that got canceled and they didn't reschedule it. And so you mentioned pulling out of the non-conference games. He did. Like early on, you mentioned UNC's playing the Maui, Maui tournament, so that's why you thought their schedule was going to be a lot tougher. Duke had those games lined up, and he didn't reschedule it for this reason. So, you know, he's. I still think he is being more of a leader in this situation, canceling the non-conference games, including this tournament. 
that would help this Duke team be tuned up. Now they're about to just jump right into the ACC play, having only played four games. One thing also to mention is this comment came after three of the ACC Big Ten um, challenge games were canceled. So, you know, it's a question that was, I think, very – or an answer to a question that was very thoroughly thought out and consistent with his position from day one and really back in March. And I think we have to also mention Florida Gators star basketball player Keontae Johnson, yep. who collapsed on the court. So, you know, clearly there's no right answers. You, we, we, of course, hope that Keontae is okay. That's a you know, horrible example to bring up. But we, you know, I mentioned that, first of all, to make sure, you know, we're all sending out well wishes to him. But also, you know, it's it just shows it's there's no right or wrong answers here. That's horrible. You never want to see that happen to a basketball player, someone who's in the best shape of their life, and they collapse on court. That's awful. So, you know, Coach K not necessarily wrong with any of his comments. Um, it's a tricky situation. But, you know, his comments made headlines. I didn't see Coach Bayheim's comments. Coach K is very much the face of college basketball. So when he yeah. talks, people listen. And I think that, you know, these comments, they might come back up at the end of, you know, December, at the end of January, uh, moving forward. And before we end this segment, I just want to have a little, send out a little personal message to Coach Nate Oates and say that karma is a bitch. If you do make the tournament, Nate Oates, your team, I guarantee you will be playing Duke in the Sweet 16, or at least by the Sweet 16. We all know that NCAA loves to have these money-making matchups. And when that happens, everyone take Duke minus a million points. They will smack Bama. All right, and with that, let's go on to segment three and preview um, the ACC play. All right, John, our ACC preseason prediction. We both chose Duke to win the ACC. I don't know how comfortable I am with that. I don't know if you're comfortable with it. Real quick, re recapping a couple of the uh, marquee games from last week. Georgia Tech beat Kentucky, which at the time seemed like a big win. Kentucky lost four in a row. I believe they're two and four right now. Uh, Virginia Tech and Syracuse both lost as well. Clemson with a win over Alabama. John, what stood out to you last week, and what what are you thinking going into um, ACC play? Yeah, the conference as a whole, I think, is in a really interesting spot. You've got some teams like Clemson; they're five and zero. Louisville; they're four and zero. Even NC State; they're three and zero. They've looked good in their three games, but they haven't really played anyone. So we're in this really interesting state in this pandemic-shortened season, where a lot of times in non-conference play, you sort of get to sort out which teams are strong, which teams are weak. There's sort of some natural shuffling before ACC play even starts. But I think this season in particular, we go into the ACC season with basically no knowledge um, of who the strongest teams in the conference are. Uh, Duke is 2-2. Two and two. They were a lot of preseason favorites. Virginia is 3-1. and one. North Carolina is 4-2. and two. Um, And then there's a whole host of teams in a tier right below them that are very good. We should also mention Syracuse. They are 4-1. and one. So in terms of revisiting that preseason prediction, um, Duke at 2-2 two and two doesn't look like a safe, super safe pick to survive this gauntlet that's going to be the ACC season. 
But at this point, I really think I have to stick with them because I think that Duke is going to make some changes to how they play. I think they're going to also, just like UNC, they're going to get better as the season goes along. So I'm sticking with Duke partially because I think that there's no real contender that has emerged uh, in Duke's place. No one has really grabbed the mantle of the ACC yet. But talk to me again in two to three weeks. Once we see some ACC matchups and get some really good basketball, some good data points to work off of, I think we'll start to see the standings settle out. Tyler, what's your take? Yeah, it's a weird year in the ACC. I feel like there's no clear-cut best team, yet there's six ranked teams. You know, for right or wrong, six ranked teams. And usually you have a few tiers. You mentioned Duke, UNC, UVA being in a top tier. I disagree. That's the preseason top tier, but they just, no, I don't think any of those three teams have separated themselves from anyone else. Um, so one thing I did like, you mentioned Duke making some changes. Against Illinois, Matthew Hurd had three fouls in the first half. And when he went to the bench, there was a big uh-oh moment. And something I've been hoping for happen, to happen the whole season finally did, and that was Jeremy Roach taking over. So I'm hoping that going forward, Jeremy Roach still has the confidence to be more of a scorer on this team, as Duke is going to need that. Um, but the thing that really hurts Duke is canceling these non-conference games. They still have no identity. And Wendell Moore, who people thought would be Duke's best player, had seven minutes against Illinois, and he had zero points and a couple turnovers. He's He has not played well. He doesn't have any confidence. Joey Baker doesn't have confidence. So early on, Duke is going to have a ton of losses because they just don't have an identity yet. And that's their, that's Duke's biggest issue. So I think Duke is going to finish in the middle of the ACC, in the middle of the pack. Um, I think UNC is going to be right with them because I haven't seen much improvement from UNC either. All the potential in the world, but, you know, is Royce still having trouble coaching this top-end talent? If you ask me, I'd say yes. Um, UVA doesn't look great either. So I'm going to look at the teams that have performed well in games that matter. Um so for me right now, Florida State, even though they lost a lot last year, they've impressed me. They beat Indiana, beat Florida. Um, Georgia Tech looked terrible early. Their guards that I was raving about were awful. But then they beat Kentucky, and they also won at Nebraska. I don't think Georgia Tech is going to win, but I'm more confident that they will finish kind of the upper middle echelon of the ACC. But between Clemson, Louisville, and uh FSU, and I'll throw Cuse in there as well. I think those four have look most impressive. I'm going to pick FSU out of those four to win the ACC this year, although I still think the winner of the ACC is going to have at least five losses, and it's going to be a back-and-forth battle all season long. And the winner of the ACC could have eight games canceled. We have no idea what's going to happen. It's going to be a crazy season. Before we get to that, UNC has one final major non-conference game. North Carolina plays Ohio State at a neutral site in Cleveland, Ohio, Saturday, December 19th. Uh, Both teams will enter uh, the game needing a win before they head into their respective conference plays. Tyler, what's your pick for this game, North Carolina or Ohio State? Uh, This is a tough one for me. Because I'm not sold on UNC yet. I have not seen much growth. Same hand, I've looked at Ohio State's schedule. I don't know much about the team per se, but they have yet to play any 
a single game that of like significance where they've had to actually have their back against the wall. For that reason, I, I, I'm going to pick UNC because they actually have played in tough games this year. And I think that experience this season is going to help them and help propel them over Ohio State. What about you, John? I'm going to take North Carolina in this game as well. I think this is going to be the game where the pieces start to fit together for the Tar Heels. We've seen some great front court play, but I think this is the game that the back court really starts to take over. I'm expecting a big game from either Caleb Love or R.J. Davis. Um, I think that Ohio State, they have only played Notre Dame so far. They they have only played uh, Notre Dame. They've played, they played five games this season, but Notre Dame has been the toughest opponent they've faced so far. They do play Purdue on Wednesday, so that'll be interesting to see how they face off because Purdue will be the toughest team they've played this season. Nevertheless, I'm expecting North Carolina to get the win on Saturday against Ohio State and then propel themselves into ACC play. Tyler, do you want to introduce our second game? Yep, so Villanova is playing UVA later this week as well. Um, currently, Nova ranked 9, UVA ranked 18, although those rankings are going to change come Monday. Uh, John, what do you think of this game? Who's your pick? I'm picking Villanova in this game. I don't think it's particularly close. I think there are a couple teams in college basketball this year that are just superior to everyone else. I think that you have to look at teams like Gonzaga, teams like Baylor, and then I put Villanova right up there with them. I think that Villanova, with their unique blend of uh, freshman star power or sort of youth star power, I'm including Jeremiah Robinson Earl as a you know still a newcomer. And then they have a lot of veterans on that team. I think they are sort of the whole package. I'm picking Villanova in this game. How about you? I'm going to go out on a limb and trust UVA for one reason. I think Nova is wildly overrated this year. Um, when I look at elite teams, I'm thinking about Gonzaga with a, with a healthy Jalen Suggs and Baylor, Illinois, and Iowa. And I think Villanova is far from that for the simple reason that their entire team depends on Gillespie, their point guard. And if you stop Gillespie, that Nova team is pretty easy to crack. Um, I think they've squeaked out a bunch of wins this year. And the thing about UVA is they have Kihei Clark, who is a dog defensively. And so him matched up with Gillespie, I'm thinking is going to slow Nova down. UVA is in desperate need of an actual big win, especially going into ACC play. Although I'm not sold on UVA, I'm expecting the upset, so I'm going to go with UVA. We'll see what happens next week. Some great basketball games to talk about on next week's pod. Thanks for joining us this week. Tyler, I'll let you send it out. Thank you all for listening. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at TarDevilsPod. You can also listen to this uh, podcast weekly on Spotify or on Apple. Uh, we look forward to uh, you tuning in then.